Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, Chris Fleming, as always. And today I have the honor of welcoming Ronald Petrov to the podcast. His self-named family law firm serves clients across the state of Ohio. Using an empathetic, dedicated team approach, they achieve fair and equitable results for their clients. Thanks for being here with me today, Ronald, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. So, Ronald, you have a pretty interesting background, a very interesting background with your nationality and languages that you speak. So maybe take us through how you got where you are today. Sure. So I was born in Cleveland, Ohio uh, in 1981 to two Russian immigrants who emigrated uh, in 1979 from the former Soviet Union. Um, They ended up in Cleveland. It was part of the first wave of Soviet uh, Jewry who uh, immigrated to the United States. I was actually named after Ronald Reagan. Okay, um, that's cool. That was sort of the first American uh, ceremony that they witnessed or that they understood uh, what transpired. And so Ronald Reagan is my namesake. And um, every year I get a something about Ronald Reagan from my parents like okay. last year with this, you know, uh, biography called Dutch, which is, which is really good. So irrespective of political affiliation, it was more about patriotism than, uh, the politics. And then, um, went to, uh, you know, grew up on the East side suburbs of Cleveland, went to, uh, undergrad at Vanderbilt university in Nashville, mm-hmm. and then came back to Ohio was trying to decide between going to New York city or coming back to Ohio for law school. Uh, got into schools both in the city and um, in Ohio and ended up deciding to go to the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law and uh, have been in Columbus ever since. Okay, awesome. And um, your parents still have that patriotism after all these years? I'm sure coming from what they experienced in the Soviet Union to this was that was probably culture shock, wasn't it? It was culture shock. It was politics shock. It was uh, language barrier shock. Yeah. Um, they were both physicians in the uh, former Soviet Union. Okay. So you had to not only learn English as a second language, but also take the American uh, residency right. uh, exams and the, you know, the boards for medical licensure. So that was very, very difficult. Uh, luckily, I don't remember the early days, but from what right. I hear, mom and dad were working 12 to 16 hour days. And uh, I have a sister who's six years older than me. So when I was very young, she was helping care for me while they were out pursuing their professional pursuits. And she was probably the translator before your parents. She was probably yes. picking up on the English better than they were. Yeah. So and to this day on the on the language piece, I my parents still speak to me in Russian and I respond to them in English. So, you know, I, 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 I understand fluently. Yeah. But uh, as any native Russian speaker will tell you, my pronunciation is right. it leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, especially if you're not doing it all the time. OK, so then 
You went to law school, but then how did the path kind of go where you were picked the focus of your practice? So how did you decide on the areas that you were going to specialize in? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question. Uh, I get that a lot because, as you can probably understand, family law is a very unique uh, area of law. Very specific skill set is mm-hmm. required. A lot of attorneys uh, will will practice in various areas of law, none of which will be a family law for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, I was trying to decide whether or not to do the big firm thing and do you know do corporate law, uh, do business law, and I found myself actually in law school filling the role of sort of the relationship advice expert. A lot of my both male and female friends would come to me and talk to me about what's going on in their personal relationships, uh, their romantic relationships, and kind of, you know, collaborate with me on, you know, what I think and what, you know, what advice I would have as far as the romantic piece. And one of them um, who ended up taking a very big firm job in Chicago told me that I would be fantastic family law lawyer. And it never even crossed my mind until he made that comment to me. Then I started looking into it and uh, I had to decide after my third year law school, did I want to take a medium firm job in Cleveland that offered me sort of insurance defense work, Mm -hmm. or I had for less paying job in Columbus in a family, in a boutique family law firm in one of the suburbs of Columbus. And I just kind of I, I chose the area of law that I thought best suited my personality, even though if it wasn't as lucrative at the time. Looking back on it now, 18 years later, I definitely made the right decision um, where my career has headed and how I've been able to you know, manage my business. Okay. So then there was a transition, I guess, from the boutique thing to, uh, to your own solo practice, right? I mean, I know you have other attorneys and you have um, staff that work with you, but you at some point made that transition. So what was the genesis of that? What what made you make that decision? So that's a, another really good question, Chris. I was finding myself that, that first year out of law school um, working for this boutique family law firm. I, I was bringing in a lot of business. I was bringing in clients. Uh, one of the parts of the legal field that I sort of thrive at is the business development part, mm. the networking part, and, uh, and, and, and I was able to, you know, sort of rain make with clients and things like that, both through professional networking and personal, you know, my personal Rolodex. I was fortunate enough from, uh, you know, growing up in Ohio, growing up in Cleveland, and also uh, through contacts while I was in law school in Columbus. I thought, you know, I started doing the calculations and I was like, well, I'm making pennies on the dollar for the clients I'm bringing in. It would certainly make a lot more sense to have my own, hang up my own shingle. And, um, I met a, a, another attorney in town who was about five or six years ahead of me in, in practice years. So he he provided a little bit more uh, experience and credibility in the industry. And he was having similar thoughts and similar ruminations. Okay. And so the two of us, you know, grabbed beers one afternoon and then, you know, one thing after one thing led to another. And in June of 2007, we hung up a shingle and started our own firm with just the two of us renting office space, uh, you know, two offices and what is now my my current firm. Okay. Okay. So then if you could go back in time, because that's 2005, quite a long time ago, if you can go back in time, give the younger Ronald some advice, something you know now that you wish you knew when you started out, what do you think that would be? So that I would most likely tell younger Ronald to take a class or two or to learn about HR and (laughs) learn about, um, you know, managing people because- Mm -hmm. I was confident in my legal skills. I was confident in my business skills and I was confident in sort of my management of the firm 
when I started my own firm, I thought the difficult part would be accounting, bookkeeping, marketing. It hasn't been. The hardest part has been HR, managing people, handling turnover, uh, dealing with inner office conflict between employees. That I was not ready for. And that has been the most challenging part of my career, which when you think of a divorce lawyer, I bet many people wouldn't think that that would be something that would be keeping me up at night. Right. Well, I think that just might be true of any business, right? You know, uh, well, the environment now, but just anytime, anytime you're dealing with uh, other personalities other than yourself, there's potential for conflict. And it's funny how we think, you know, because we're good at all this other stuff. Well, if people would just think the way I do, or they would just make decisions the way I would, then I would, then everything would be fine. But unfortunately, everybody's different. So you got to learn to have those skills too, or at least hire someone that maybe has those skills. Well, and so that's the thing, you know, family law firms in general are typically between a lot. Most of them are not even firms or solo practitioners. Yeah, right. or practitioners. And, yeah. you know, the biggest firms in town are only seven to eight attorneys deep, mm-hmm. right? Right now we're five attorneys, three support staff. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's eight, nine of us at a given time. If we have a law clerk, that's right around the, the area where you really have to start managing people, nine, 10, 11 employees. Yeah. And so right. that's been challenging, but uh, you know, you live and learn. And, but that would be the answer to, to your question is figure out a way to gain skills yeah. in the HR portion of managing a big medium sized firm. Right. Okay. I'm right there with you, brother. Uh, all right. So, you know, when people work with you, there's a lot of emotion involved um, because it's family law. So, Maybe highlight some of the biggest fears or concerns that you commonly encounter with people. Now, I know with family law, there's a lot of different aspects of that, but maybe in the area of of divorce, um, some common fears or concerns that you come across. Sure. So I would say probably the the biggest misconception that I I run across uh, with people when that have no familiarity or experience in the divorce legal field is this concept of of no-fault divorce, where Mm -hmm. the reason for the termination of the marriage or why the relationship broke down is completely irrelevant when discussing and analyzing the financial settlement, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why the marriage ended has no bearing on how much money one spouse will receive. Mm -hmm. And so that concept for a lot of people is, is, is challenging and difficult to comprehend. Right. Yep. I agree with you. Another concept that's difficult is when in, when dealing with child related issues. Oftentimes, you know, in marriages, spouses fill certain roles, whether they be traditional gender roles or new gender roles, or one parent is child rearing, uh, homemaking, the other parent is making the you know financial decisions, earning mm-hmm. most of the money. The the uh, the parent who was not involved with the child rearing hadn't for for the course of the marriage typically wasn't involved in everyday decisions. But when you get divorced, they do have that opportunity to then become involved. And and so a lot of times spouses are particularly frustrated that, well, during the marriage, he or she never did X, Y, and Z when it came to the kids. Now, all of a sudden they want to be dad of the year and they want to go to parent-teacher conferences. They want to be involved in extracurricular activities. They want to be involved in course selection, but they never did that during the marriage. When I have to tell them, well, that's right. You guys were a partnership and you guys Mm -hmm. decided how you wanted to manage your household. Now you're not a partnership anymore. And so those traditional roles during the marriage, the status quo uh, is no longer in force. And so that's the second fear or uh, trepidation people have is 
the sort of change of routine, change of control, change of status quo. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that whole fairness thing where it doesn't seem like that would be fair, but that what's fair and what's legal or what the law says don't always jive up. I was was talking to one of my sons the other day and, you know, we brought up one of his friends was going through his parents going through divorce and he asked me, he goes, well, um, can, can someone just decide that they don't want to be married anymore? And then I realized that like, he didn't even, he didn't even realize that someone can just decide. And if the, it doesn't matter if the other person agrees with it or not. Right. Right. So that was completely outside of his realm of what he understood. Um, right. But then I had to explain to him, okay, yeah, that's how, and in our country, right. in the state, that's yeah. how it works. So, yeah. There's no indentured servitude anymore. <laughs> right. Get past those misconceptions. So, um, Ronald, maybe um, describe for me what you consider to be an ideal client uh, for your practice. Right. So an ideal client for my practice would be someone who is um, somewhat type A when it comes to documentation, gathering, documentation, preparation, responsive, communicative, um, someone who has um, a lot of assets, Um, You know, I typically like to represent business owners or spouses of business owners. Um, I like to represent people who, you know, generally, you know, are on the same page as far as uh, child rearing and, you know, what's important for the children. Um, Someone who's respectful of time, someone who, you know, at the end of the day, although, you know, lawyers charge a lot of money. uh, Per hour, you know, we are service providers. And so sometimes clients treat lawyers as service providers. And, you know, it's best when you have a mutual understanding of the relationship. And so during my initial consultation, I try to set forth those expectations, what the client can expect from me and what I expect from the client. Mm -hmm. Um, And not every, and, 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 the picking the right divorce attorney is a very, very, very important part of the journey. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is essential. Not, it's not one size fits all. And so, it's a very nuanced area of law. It's very, you work very closely with these clients. They are strangers when they walk in your office. And at the end of the case, you know more about them than anyone in their lives. And so yeah. that dynamic is, 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 a, is a little peculiar if you think about a professional relationship. Yeah, right. Unique to that. I would even say so that's similar to what we do, where you mentioned earlier, where you're often the psychologist, even though you don't have the degree in that. People right. tell you people walk in and tell you anything and everything. And then at the end, they go, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Um, right. Well, it's because I'm intimately involved in your finances and I know more about that stuff or as much as you do. Um, so we've developed a relationship. Now, you you hit on something there. Why is consistent or what you call hyper communication so important in your in your field when working with people? Well, there's so much. So I can guide people through the legal process. And I can guide people, you know, how the court works and, you know, how generally the rules of the game. But I need to know from the clients what their expectations are, what their goals are. You know, the problem with that is, you know, my billable hourly rate is $450 an hour. So anytime someone contacts me or emails me, they're somewhat concerned that I'm charging them. And that's just the way that our business is governed and run. And so, a lot of times clients are reluctant or hesitant to over communicate because it's expensive. So it's, it's a delicate dance, but um, clients who are transparent with their communication, succinct with their communication uh, are the, are the best and the most ideal clients. And, 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 and let me also say those that listen to me, because I have a lot of clients I'm dealing with a couple of cases right now where I'm literally giving clients the perfect advice 
they're not listening to me. Exactly what I tell them is going to happen happens. Then they call me and are upset that it happened. Right. That cycle repeats itself a lot. Yeah. Well, what do they say? People reserve the right to be dysfunctional. Well, they, you know what they say? They say, oh, I was doing it for my kids. I was doing I know. It yeah, right. Yeah. They've been probably the, in their mind, the intention of that or where that's coming from is a good place. Okay. So I wanted to ask you a question on that topic. So I know sometimes in these cases, there's minor children that are involved, right? So what kind of unique challenges when you have minor kids involved um, come up when you're working with clients? Because a lot of times I'm sure one of the main things they say is, I want to make sure that my kids are okay. Right. That's one of well, their biggest concerns or fears. The first thing that those types of clients need to understand is that divorce is a life-changing event. And so the kids are, kids are resilient. Kids will be okay, but it will never be the same. Right. right. So if you're looking to, pro, uh, you know, to have continuity of how life was like before, it's not. And right. so you know, people need to have realistic expectations as they go through this process. But child-related cases are, are very difficult. Um, there are the red flag cases, right, where there's um, physical violence, substance abuse, mental health issues, mm-hmm. financial misconduct. Those, that's one bucket of difficult child-related cases. The second, this is just as challenging as when there's, um, it's, a, it's called a relocation case or a geography yeah. case where the parents don't live near each other. That's incredibly difficult because the the parent who is the long distance parent, by definition, cannot be involved in the children's lives, you know, by, as much as the parent who's in the locale. Yeah. So that's different, difficult. Um, and, and I try to advise people that when you have minor kids, do whatever you can to live in close proximity to where your children are living or where your children go to school. And that's mm-hmm. advice number one. A lot of people think that you know, custody cases are these are, are, are mudslinging. You have to hire a personal private investigator. You need to get all these character witnesses. And the fact of the matter is, Chris, a lot of them boil down to work schedules, distance, yeah. you know, child schedules, medical. Like if the children have yeah. some medical conditions or needs that need to be met, therapies that, you know, need to be attended. It comes down to that. You know, who's available, who can provide the transportation, you know, so and, and that's that's difficult for people to to understand that, mm-hmm. you know, the judge isn't looking to, you know, admonish one parent and rip away the relationship with the children. But instead, how are these kids going to get where they need to be? How are they going to be fed, clothed? How are their how's their homework going to be done, et cetera? How are their yeah. medical needs going to be taken care of? And so that's really how the a lot of these custody cases work. Now, yeah. I told you there are red flag cases and those are the exceptions. to the rule. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times when the red flags are involved, then it's a lot about convenience for the children. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So now I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. There's a big sea of, of uh, attorneys. You go online and do searches, all this kind of stuff. There's the websites that say you don't need one and get the documents on the website and just type this stuff in. You can print everything out and that's all you need. So what when you're meeting with people, what do you kind of use as the differentiator or not that anything that makes you unique particularly, but what using a, a professional who knows what they're doing is experience is infinitely better, which I believe, than trying to look up the answers on lawyermd.com or something like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for, first, um, let me start with you pay for what you get in life. Yeah. Okay. Second, there's a, um, you know, 
there, there's this famous saying in the legal field, uh, a lawyer who represents himself or herself has a fool for a client. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely don't think self-representation is ideal. I do think that there are scenarios um, where it is okay, but it's a very small percentage of the cases. And those yeah. cases are where it's a short-term marriage, there's no children, no real estate, no retirement assets. And, and honestly, there's nothing to divide. Yeah. In those rare cases, then I believe that sort of uh, trying to fill out the forms yourself and navigate the process is acceptable. Still, though, um, if you don't fill them out correctly and you don't know how to navigate filing, scheduling, assignment offices at the courthouse or, or what to ask at the final hearing to finalize the case, yeah. the court will still, uh, you know, it will still be a difficult and uphill battle. But mm-hmm. there are certain fact patterns and cases that would be uh, more permissible than others to represent yourself or try to do it yourself. But if it's not one of those cases, you know, I would really strongly recommend picking the right attorney, um, interview multiple attorneys. Don't just go to one. And, and, you know, and a lot of people don't know how the process works. You know, they just Google divorce attorney, Columbus, Ohio, and whatever, you know, the attorney who pays the most on pay-per-click may not be the best lawyer in town. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So um, there's a lot of misinformation. Um, you know, the best marketer isn't the best legal mind. Right. So, yeah, because uh, then you got to if you got to have an understanding of the Google algorithm to get that, which is another whole discussion on right. how that works. OK, yeah. Th- now, I appreciate you taking me through. That's well said. So um, we're kind of getting close to the end. I want to ask you a few more questions. What do you sure. see as probably the biggest opportunity for you and your practice going forward where you want to take the business? Well, we're in the process in my firm of a, of a very large firm renovation with the, the office space. We've been in the same space since 2007. We just signed a new 10-year lease. The building has agreed to uh, an incredible amount of tenant improvements. So we're completely reno- gut renovating the space, wh- which will provide opportunities for growth. We hope to hire one or two more lawyers, one or two more paralegals and continue. We've Our revenue, our bottom line revenue has increased every year. And then the last from, you know, three years ago to today uh, has exponentially increased in part to, to COVID. Uh, and yeah. and uh, I'm sure everyone's aware of those memes that were circulating when COVID uh, started about, you know, the, the divorce attorneys were sitting uh, around yeah. going like this because people are cooped up at home and right. that's not ideal. So um, I, I, I think that the, the opportunities are going to be to continue to grow the bottom line, to continue to service clients and provide legal services for people throughout the state. We do a lot of out-of-county work. You know, we're located in Franklin County, the largest county in the state, but there are 88 counties in Ohio, and we service about 50 of them. So I want to continue to do that. I enjoy the out-of-county work a lot. I enjoy getting out to different areas, rural areas, suburban areas, urban areas. And so I want to continue that growth. Awesome. Now, maybe on the flip side side of that, what do you see as... Aside from the renovation, what do you see as the biggest maybe challenge or obstacle that you need to overcome or the business needs to overcome? Turnover. Okay. Turnover is a killer. We've we've had tremendous turnover in the last three years. Every time we get through it uh, and are, are, are stronger for it, something else comes up. Something else happens. Either people leave the area of law because they're, they're burnt out. It's rare that someone goes to a competitor firm. Uh, It's more that they either want to start their own firm 
or they want to leave the area of family law, or they 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 want to focus on raising children, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true in a lot of industries, the professional services, especially um, where you're serving a large clientele. That's uh, probably going to continue to be a challenge. And I have yeah. I haven't I haven't figured out this generation right below ours. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I, we we need another thirty minutes to talk about that. All right, that's our next podcast, Ronald. That'd be the next one. The next one. Okay. So if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so the best way would be the would be the website. And it's uh, www.petrofflawoffices.com. That's P-E-T-R-O-F-F, as in Frank Frank, law offices with an S, dot com. Um, that would be the best way. All the information anyone would need would be on that website. Um, or if they uh, would like to call, 614-222-4288. Okay, awesome. Listen, Ronald, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Very good conversation. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to raise the financial, legal, social, education, and knowledge of everyday people one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Take care. Be well. Ronald, thanks again. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.